Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Happy Monday, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Take Two. And we're doing a little OG style uh, in case Greg Hughes doesn't know, that means it's like the original. It's what the cool kids say for bringing it back old school. So thanks for joining us. We've missed you here. I've missed you guys. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I, I, this whole you can't be a candidate and be on take two, you know, it was a, it was a hard choice. I'm, I was ready to ditch this whole campaign. You were stuff, torn, so. I'm sure. Friday, we, we were running the place. You know that? Uh, we were. And actually, I feel a little bad because I was thinking about calling Jim DeBacchus or Mara Carabello to see if they could just like... Uh, rib you and egg you on a little bit, but I'm going to give you a fair shot like everyone else so we can just talk issues today. Um, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about what's going on. There happens to be never a lack of things going on right now. Uh, before we get into the issues of uh, what's going on with coronavirus, it's obviously changed how you're campaigning. What? And what? I know, I right? This week is convention. So tell me what's happening this week for all the gubernatorial candidates. I'm guessing a lot of phone calls. Yeah. So Heidi, here's the thing. And I'm grateful that we have it. I'm grateful that we have delegates that were that are statewide. They are the delegates from the 2018 election cycle. There were ways to not have to change bylaws or statutes that these delegates could continue to serve. I love the the delegate uh, convention cycle. It's high information election cycle where you ask a lot of questions. But I didn't sign up for election cycle where I'd never be in the same room with a single delegate that we'd have it all through uh, teletown halls and, and video town halls. Uh, but we've gone through that process, and we've been able to ask, have great participation, uh, have good questions asked and direct answers given. And then we're going to go, and this week we are in a virtual state convention. We're used to having signs and a, you know, big, and having a booth and big speeches and a momentum. But uh, the voting, I believe, will start on uh, Thursday of this week uh, that you can vote electronically. And the voting will end for the 4,000 statewide delegates on Saturday. And so we've already submitted our speeches that uh, the delegates can click on and watch uh, before they vote. And uh, so, but it's very different. It's a, uh, it's not the election cycle I signed up for, but uh, I'm glad that we we still have it. And uh, I've I've tried to be nimble and take full advantage of it. So people who are listening in, and this might be the first time that they're um, listening to how convention works. We obviously have three candidates who got on the ballot through signatures. We're talking about Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. We have Thomas Wright, uh, the former head of the or chair of the GOP here in Utah and now um, former governor and ambassador John Huntsman. You obviously yeah. didn't go for sign signature. So you really are talking to these delegates trying to get through. How many people will make it through the convention process and end up on the ballot as well? If, if a candidate, uh, there's a number of us. I'm the only one that decided from day one I was never going to try and get signatures. Uh, there are uh, two candidates that I filed the paperwork and tried to collect signatures, but were unsuccessful. Uh, so you have three of us uh, in this race that uh, our, our campaigns end if we do not earn the support of the state delegates. Uh, but if a candidate gets more than 60% of those dele 4,000 delegates vote or support, 
uh, they become the lone nominee coming out of that convention. If it's not 60% of a threshold or a higher, then the top two vote-getters uh, will come out. And really, it could be uh, any of the candidates that have – everybody's campaigning hard. I think even those that have collected signatures uh, are still actively campaigning with the delegates, making their case. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. It's, it's, it's easier for me, having been in smaller convention uh, uh, cycles, uh, not statewide – you get a feel from the delegates. There's an energy in the room when you're meeting with a lot of delegates. There's momentum that can be felt. Uh, staring into the camera, you don't feel that. And so you, it, under knowing how this is working and where the tide is turning is a little harder. So uh, speaking of momentum, last time we saw a poll, not this most recent, you were barely like a blip on there. It's not fun to hear, right? Tallest building in Tooele, Heidi. Don't. Uh, I know, don't but you've come a long way. You've skyrocketed. So this last poll is probably an indicator of all the work you've been doing. But Spencer Cox, um, in this Utah Policy KUTV and Y2 Analytics poll, um, Cox was still on top with 40 percent, then Huntsman at 33 percent, but you're all the way up at 16 percent. So how did you get there? Yeah. So that was a that's an 11 11 percentage point swing our way. Uh, that's the largest. Everybody else has been flirting. We, our internal numbers are, um, a little different in terms of, uh, how high of support the top two have. And, and mine's, anyway, the point is this. In any poll I've seen, whether it's internal that we've done or the public polls, you see candidates that are moving plus or minus, uh, three, four percent. Uh, but we've moved 11 percent. And I think the reason why we held over 45 town hall meetings across the state in January, February, first part of March, and then, uh, and then we've been, we've been hammering the, uh, the, the virtual town halls since delegates were elected. But what we also did is because I, I've learned that the name ID of someone who has served as Speaker of the House might not be very high. Uh, we have had, uh, television, radio commercials as well as digital ads, uh, that have been going January, February, and March. And I think that helped uh, get our message out even more. Uh, than it was being heard beforehand, and it's resonated. I think those those percentages that you see show that the message resonates, and uh, it's been up to me. The more I can get my my message out, uh, I've seen we've seen success. We know that we are the the strongest uh, team. We are that we have the message that's right, and we started this race talking about leadership and doing difficult things before we knew we were going to confront a global pandemic. And I think that the messages we were sharing in the onset apply more today than ever before. Let's talk about that global pandemic. The president announced last Thursday that he was ready for states to start deciding when they would reopen again. And Herbert announced on Friday, so just a couple of days ago, that there was a plan to slowly start working towards that. We might see restaurants start open, maybe gyms at the 1st of May. Um, but it's a slow process. Those were just the beginning. And then we're talking about filling stadiums and theaters, maybe not for months to come. Uh, this Saturday, we saw probably hundreds of people out, I don't know if the word is protesting or rallying, saying they're ready to get back to work in downtown Salt Lake City. When you watch this happening, let's pretend you were governor right now, what would you do? Who do you listen to? There's a lot to consider because the health of the economy is important, the health of the people is important. It's a lot to balance. Well, let me give you a different hypothetical. Let's pretend that you and I are doing take two and I'm not a candidate. Okay, let's, let's do that. All right. I would have been saying every single week, uh, I began saying this as a candidate back in March 20th. I heard, uh, the governor, uh, Governor Cuomo from New York say this on March 16th, that you cannot have a public health strategy, uh, that does not include a get back to work strategy as well. 
And he was saying this. I didn't think anyone was hearing it. It was incredibly, I thought it was very important. He was, he was reflecting on what they had done as a state and he wasn't convinced that shutting everything down and quarantining everyone together, uh, upon reflection was the smartest way to do that. And that was on March 16th. On March 20th, I did a video kind of, you know, where I'm trying to talk to delegates and, and to voters. And I just, I said that if we don't, if you don't have a way, because there is no way you can print enough money to replace an economy. And every bill, everyone has bills due every 30 days. And so, so what is going to happen when those bills come due? You cannot lay a pandemic on the shoulders of the working people of our state or country. It's too heavy. It, it won't bear. And, and so I, I said, and I was repeating what I was hearing from, I think leaders around the country, you have to have that get to back, get back to work plan. So people know what the light at the end of the tunnel looks like and how we're going to do that. In the absence of that, I said that people with bills to pay and no understanding of when they can leave or leave their homes or start their businesses, they will uh, they will just disobey these orders. And then I think that's the worst case scenario. I think what you're seeing right now, especially in Michigan and some places here in Utah, people without an idea of how that plan works, they're just going to start coming out and saying, look, I got to get back to work. I got to I got to make a living. I got to support a family. Do you support those people then that are going outside and rallying and doing what they're doing? I think it was inevitable. I think that, again, without that plan, if anyone's surprised that's going on, I think you're going to see more of it until we see a, a really strong plan on how to get back to work. And that plan is going to be, if I were governor now shifting hypotheticals, if I was governor right now, we would continue to see uh, people that are elderly quarantined. We'd see those that are medically frail self-quarantine as well. Uh, those that are medically resolved, those that have gone through and they've tested with the antibodies present that they've gone through this, they can get back to work. People that have been healthy and like me, we have been under health, health, house arrest here where I don't have the symptoms, so I'm not a carrier having it but not knowing it. So you have healthy people as well. You get back to work, but then you have to take a lot of precautions we weren't taking before. The distancing, the washing of our hands constantly, learning to not touch our faces, our eyes, our nose, our mouth all the time, which... My nose is itchy as I even say that. I want to touch my face. So I just think there's some precautions we have to take. And then I think we have to understand and be prepared that when we do start this economy back up, because we have to. I don't think it's a, a luxury. I think we have to. As people come back together, we will see cases rise a bit than they are when we're not. But I don't think we have a choice. I think we're, we're, we're not in a situation where we can just keep everything shut down indefinitely. So I think that's those are the things you'd want to tell people what to expect as best as you can see it. You'd, you'd implement those smart precautions and, and health strategies and then keep people quarantined that are at the greatest risk. Do we keep watching um, the numbers that have coming in, people who are sick and dying before we open things up? Do we do it all at once? Or is the slow process the governor's looking at, which right now is somewhat vague um, at, because they are looking at the science right now, how do you do it? Would you open it up all at once or do we need to do this slowly and carefully and decide what can be opened and what cannot? So I think some of that is I th I don't think if you if I just said okay everybody here's the green light everyone go back to work I think that you wouldn't see the economy as you saw it before we went into the self quarantine because I think people's behaviors are inherently going to change I don't know that every restaurant sadly it's the third largest se uh, sector of our economy at five and a half billion dollars hundred and ten thousand people employed I don't know that every one of those restaurants will be full. Uh, with patrons as it once was, just because what's people's comfort level with being around strangers or being in crowds. So I don't think this economy snap with a snap comes back to where it once was. I do think you begin that, that transition. You begin, you allow all, 
I don't like that conversation where government gets to pick what's an essential business and what's not. If it, if you have a business and, or a, a job that feeds your family, it feels pretty essential. And so I think anyone that can get back, and it certainly is in business owners' best interest to do things in a smart way because they don't want to see uh, this virus spread amongst their employers or patrons or else they will shut down. And so everybody's kind of in this together. And I think that what I would do is I would say to those conditions I kind of described, in those scenarios, let's get back to work to the degree that we can. But I think it's going to be a – I think it's inherently going to be a, ste- a gradual step up, not just overnight you're going to see this economy look like it once did. Let's talk about the special session because right now the legislature uh, made a historic move, not just because they're online, but for the first time calling themselves – into session, and it wasn't that long ago we were talking about uh, the constitutional amendment, which was on the ballot in 2018, passed by the people that allowed them to do that. Are you surprised that it was this soon they were actually able to use that new power of grace call? I'm surprised that the, this emergency circumstance is upon us. Uh, but I, I take some, I'm like a, you know, I'm a recovering legislator, but I look back at that. Uh, that I was there. I was. We looked at the ability for this legislative body to call itself in the special session in times of an emergency. We've talked about these types of scenarios. Uh, it's it's not the case that every state, its legislative branch, can only convene outside of its general session if the governor says so. We thought it was strengthening the legislative branch, which it was, and the, and the voters approved it, and they agreed. Uh, over 60% in that uh, that constitutional amendment vote by the people. I'm very, I feel very fortunate that we have it. We have, that's why you have a citizen legislature, Heidi. You have people that, that it's not their day job to be a lawmaker. They have businesses. They have lives. They, they are doing things with their days and they bring that perspective to their public service as a part-time legislature. And there, with that comes solutions or ideas or we have to get this economy back, uh, back running again because we don't have a choice. We do know that we have bills every 30 days that have to be paid. I think that is why you have a citizen legislature to have that touch with what goes on uh, in our economy and society and having the ability to call themselves in a special session and drill down on those very issues of when that timetable will begin uh, getting us back, getting the economy back going. Those are the very things that I think the legislative branch brings uh, by way of perspective. And I'm grateful that we had that ability, that Utah had that ability to see our legislatures take action. And that's what they did. I've been actually asking each of the candidates about this. Should the legislature have given, they had to wait 30 days before they could call themselves into session. Should that waiting have happened or should the governor maybe have called a special session sooner? I think the governor is always free to do what he would like to do. He'd have to answer that himself. I think the third, but the context behind the 30 days of waiting uh, is that some states uh, talk about uh, that they have a short legislative session. We have one of the shortest in the country at 45 calendar days, but some states say we're part-time, but they're 190 days or they're, they're 180 days or longer. What you don't want to see happen is your official day ends and then you just call a special session the next day or it just starts to creep. And some legislative bodies have, have done that where if they have the ability to call themselves in a special session too soon after that general session, they kind of don't, they don't end. That hard stop and that deadline starts to get fuzzy. And so that's why that 30 days is appropriate. Uh, but to just kind of stave off that generally. In this circumstance, uh, probably uh, action could be taken sooner than later. But again, I'm not going to, you'd have to ask the governor uh, what his decision making was uh, for that. We issue. are hearing rumors that maybe the governor will call a legislative special session too. How would that work if they're already in session? The governor were to call another, would that mean that 
his bills, his ideas would take over what the legislature was already taking up? What would happen? You know, I, I honestly, I'll tell you, I don't know. That's uncharted water. We, uh, we have great legislative. Uh, I keep see I'm recovering, and I say we. They have the legislature has great legislative attorneys, general counsel. Uh, they are they are they jealously guard the uh, separation of powers and the legislative branch's uh, constitutional prerogatives. So they'll 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 get that right. They'll make sure that uh, that how that succession of order and how those the governor's special session with whatever session the special session the legislature had called. Uh, again, it'll it'll I think it'll be seamless. It'll be fine. But again, I think you're seeing there's we need an economy for us to the working people of the state to pay the bills. But let's be let's also note that tax collection doesn't occur if there isn't an economy. And uh, they, there is we balance the budget here and we don't print money. And so when there isn't a whole lot of tax collection going on, the gaps in this budget are probably going to be unprecedented. And it's it's probably something that's going to require uh, the attention of the legislature and the governor in real time now. And certainly the next governor in 2021 is going to be faced with uh, some challenges that are, are um, I, again, I'd say un- unprecedented. So everyone I've asked, uh, they say that if the economy was not their number one when they went into this race, that it now has become so. Would that be the same for you? Yep. I, be- I was always strong about the economy and how the economy grows. I've always been bullish that we've got to see the economy grow throughout the whole state. There are at least 22 states out of, or out of the counties. There's at least 22 counties that have never seen a day of economic growth. All their young people growing up outside of the Wasatch Front migrate to four counties of the Wasatch Front, this 130-mile valley. It's congested. We have scarcity of housing. Cost of living is going up. We've got to see economic opportunity throughout the whole state so that the young people, our emerging workforce, can make, live where they've grown up, are where we live, where I live, where I have young kids that are going to be part of that workforce. I, I don't want them to feel like they have to move out because they can't afford to live here. If they could live somewhere in the state and have opportunity, that would be uh, ideal versus leaving. And so as governor, I, I was very bullish on this from day one, that we need to see that kind of an infrastructure investment and an eye to economic growth throughout the state. So the population grows, not just along the Wasatch Front, but then when we hit this pandemic, how we restart this economy, I think that what we were talking about then applies even more now. We especially think about this. Have we all learned how being dependent on the manufacturing of other countries leaves this country at risk? I think that the idea that we're going to start seeing our pharmaceuticals and, and other manufacturing that we've kind of uh, seen, we've actually depended on that happening overseas. I think it's going to be a big kickstart for this uh, economy and for Americans that we're going to manufacture and do things that will help this country be self-sustaining. And we're more than happy to export it. But I think the import side, we're going to watch that a little closer now, learning from this pandemic. Sounds like the major learning curve to go. Before I let you go, Greg, I need to check in on your wife and children. How are they doing with spending so much time with you at home? Oh, you know what? I, I, I got to tell you, social distancing as, you know, is, is not just in campaigns as a human. It's just not what I do. It's just I have uh, being being. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's we're getting through it. We are. We're getting through it. But I've uh, I feel like sometimes I'm grounded and have to go into my house, my office that's in our house and, and stay in there. I got too many opinions, I think. Am I saying this out loud? Are you recording this? We are recording this. And what is the saying? That opinions are like our armpits. We all have them, but most of them stink. So you get grounded to your office. Makes sense. Sorry, I have. I've been sequestered there too. So it's, but no, it's, it, you know what? We're, it's, it, it is, uh, different times. And, and, you know, if there's a bright side to it all, 
uh, you get to you get to talk to your kids uh, on a deeper level about things that are happening right now that the the hectic pace of life we were just not having those conversations I wasn't uh, to the degree we are now so there are some uh, experiences my family has had together that uh, unique to this this pandemic and the self quarantine that ha- have made our family stronger and that's that's been a good part if there is a good part of what we're living through right now it's uh, I know that the Hughes family. Uh, we we get tired of each other a little bit, but we've also we've also shared some important uh, moments together. There's always a silver lining. I like the kid time too, and being home with the family. All right, Greg, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Good luck. Uh, if things don't work out your way, I'm not trying to say they're not going to be. You're absolutely welcome to join us next Friday for Take Two again. You're my golden parachute. This okay, thing good. Bottoms, somehow, I just I just think you know what. World's not bad. I could go back if you'd have me. Absolutely. We're making billions here. Yes. All right, Greg. Thanks so much. Good luck, and I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you.